Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. This time of year, obviously, with Christmas, it is... <clears throat> Uh, it is always an interesting time. Uh, the hustle and bustle of Christmas and everything can get ahead of us and we can uh, lose perspective. Uh, if this pandemic that we are in the midst of has done anything uh, good, it has uh, slowed us down a little bit. Uh, we're, we're not quite as busy running from this event to this event to this event and, and that constant juggle that is very common for this time of year. So if there's anything good has come out of it, it's that. And I, I trust that you're taking the opportunity to <clears throat> spend time reflecting uh, on the things of God this, this season. Luke chapter 1, uh, it should be easy to find. That's the third book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. Uh, <clears throat> I have an interesting book. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm not sick. Okay. <laughs> Just saying. Um, <clears throat> I have an interesting book in my library that I keep, I keep right on the front of my sh uh, one of my bookshelves. It's it's really it's it's not very big. It's only it's only about that big, um, but it is. It, it, I I just like to pick it up periodically and just kind of thumb through it and read read different parts of it. Um, the 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 title of the book is Famous Last Sayings. Uh, those of you that remember Dennis, uh, Dennis actually bought it for me. <clears throat> but what it is, it's a compilation of deathbed statements and uh, I, I just find it, it just incredibly interesting because typically people's deathbed statements are a direct reflection of how they've lived their lives and it, it just again it's to me I don't know if I'm weird or I, maybe I am um, <clears throat> I just I I, I, it's it's just interesting to me some of the people that are in this book and how how they live their lives. The, the the last thing that they said here on earth. It's just interesting to me. Um, one of the things that I've noticed is that most of the statements, not all of them, but most of them, reflect one thing, or or let me let me say this: the lack of one thing. And that is that it either the, the statement reflects hope of eternity or a void of hope of eternity. The majority of the statements re reflect one or the other. Let me read you a few so you kind of get the, the idea of what I'm talking about. You promised me that you would help me when I could no longer carry on. It is only torture now, and it has no longer any sense. Sigmund Freud. 
Let us cross over the river and sit under, a sh- under the shade of a tree. General Stonewall Jackson. See, I, I don't know about you, but I see hope in that. And, and if you know anything about uh, uh, history, and particularly him, he was an incredibly godly man. He walked with God. I wish, now this one, I'm reading this one, but <clears throat> I wish the whole human race had one neck and I had my hands around it. He was a mass murderer. His name was Carl Pan, uh Pansrum, I think is how you say it. How sad. Can you imagine your last words here on earth? Exactly. Lift me up, for I am dying. I shall die easy. Be not frightened. Thank God it has come. John Keats. You see the difference. You see, you see what I'm talking. And and I to me, I just find it very interesting. People who have like um, Sigmund Freud, who who is who is lifted up in the world as being this really smart person, and and psychology today is built around a lot of what he taught. Well, I'm here to tell you what he taught was wrong, and his dying statement proves what he taught was wrong. Today, people are in a desperate search for hope. All kinds of books and movies have been produced and written to teach us how we can find hope. Well, I'm here to tell you, true hope has never been produced in a movie. It's never been written in a book by a man. True hope cannot be found in the things of this world. A little boy heard the noted American preacher, Howard Thurman, preach in India. One night after he and Mrs. Thurman had gone to bed, there was a knock at the door. Opening, Opening it, there stood a lad whose clothes marked him as untouchable. In broken but polite English, he said this, I stood outside the building and listened to your lecture, Sahib Doctor. Tell me, please, can you give some hope to a nobody? Whereupon the Indian boy dropped to his knees in admiration and reverence to Dr. Uh, Thurman. And he went on to share the meaning of Christ's invitation. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The The deathbed statements of people Passing from this life to the next is very telling. If their hope was wrapped up in the things of this world, it is reflected in their statements. But if their hope is 
in the things not of this world. It is reflected in their statements. This season, the Christmas story is the epitome, I believe, the epitome of hope. Let's start reading in Luke chapter 1, in verse 30. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Most Highest. And the Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom there shall be no end. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work that you do in our lives. And I am so, so truly thankful for what Jesus did some 2,000 years ago, leaving heaven, taking on the form of a man, descending to earth as an infant to be born. Born that he might die for my sins and give me hope. Help me, dear God, this morning to... (coughs) 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 to communicate... (coughs) the things that you've put on my heart. We love you and we thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Susan Perlman wrote this, as Mary was chosen by God to, to, uh, um, excuse me, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. As Mary was chosen by God to carry the Messiah into the world, we are likewise called to carry His message. I like that. Uh, Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. What an incredible message. And we have the, not only do we have the obligation, we have the privilege of carrying that message to mankind. My first point this morning is the hope of God's promise. The hope of God's promise. Isaiah prophesied some 700 years prior to the birth of Jesus Christ. The birth of Christ. In Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And he, excuse me, and shall be called, man, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, what does Emmanuel mean? Emmanuel means God with us. And we'll talk more about this, but God has a desire to have a relationship with us. God chose a young lady. I don't know if you know this or not, but Mary, when the angel came to Mary, the story that we just read in Luke chapter 2, excuse me, uh, 1, verses 30 to 33, Mary was about 13 or 14 years old. Now, you think, she was just a child. Well, you kind of have to back up a little bit. Because a 13-year-old then 
was far more mature than a 13-year-old today. Okay, just saying. Okay, she wasn't a child. She was a young lady. But she was about 13 or 14 years old. And her Hebrew name, and this is another bit of trivia for you if you're not, if you're curious, uh, but but her Hebrew name, uh, uh, the Hebrew name for Mary is the name Miriam. I don't I don't know if you knew that or not, but uh, anyway, I just th- thought I'd throw that out there. <clears throat> but she was engaged to this guy uh, named Joseph. Joseph <clears throat> was uh, well, well. We'll talk about Joseph in a few minutes, so I don't I don't want to get ahead of myself here. But can you? <clears throat> uh, can you imagine some of the thoughts that would have went through Mary's head? This angel comes to her and says, "Hey, you know what? You're going to have you're you're, you're going to you're going to bear a son, and you're going to call his name Jesus, and he's going to be basically he's going to be the Son of God." Can can you imagine some of the things that are going through her head? I mean, I I could we I mean we could stop the sermon right here and just talk about that. You know what? You know one of the one of the thoughts would would have had to have been, okay, what is Joseph going to think? Another thought would have been, uh, what what are my friends and family going to think? Uh, what what am I going to do? Can you imagine that thought? I do. Absolutely. What am, what am I going to do? And then, and, then, and then as it starts to sink in, how am I supposed to raise the Son of God? No yeah, no pressure. I mean, it's hard enough to raise a kid. Period. But then you throw on the fact that this is Jesus. The Messiah. You, you think there may have been some anxiety? A little, a little side note here about, about Joseph. Joseph, by law, could have had Mary stoned to death for being unfaithful. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 19. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example. In other words, not willing to embarrass her, not willing to stone her, was minded to put her away privately. Joseph was prepared. The, 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 this this phrase was not minded to put her or, or was minded to put her away privately is an interesting statement because basically what Joseph was willing to do was number one take the blame if you would for the pregnancy and if you go back and read this passage this is all happening this verse is happening before the angel comes to Joseph so he doesn't know what has happened all he knows is that his Fiance is pregnant. So Joseph was minded or had decided not to make a public example of her, and by doing that would take the blame for the pregnancy. 
And then he was going to put her away privately. In other words, what he was going to do was provide for all of her needs for the rest of her life. What an incredible man of character. And this was all before the angel came to him and told him what had happened. Mary was carrying the hope of the world in her womb. Joseph at this point didn't even know that. But can you imagine going back to what we were talking about a moment ago, the thoughts that are racing through this young lady's mind. The incredible burden that she is starting to take on in her thinking. What am I going to do? How is Joseph going to react? And, and all, of the, all of the possible scenarios that are going to be racing through her mind. In the 53rd chapter of the book of Isaiah, he tells us <clears throat> in great detail of the lengths that the Messiah will go through in his life. The things that the, that, that, that the Messiah will suffer here on earth. Now, as, as I read Isaiah chapter 53 here, I'm going to read you uh, four verses here in just a minute. But I want you to understand that Mary would have been incredibly familiar with Isaiah chapter 53. As she is pondering the things in her heart and her mind, she had to have thought about what we are about to read. She was a Jew. And Isaiah, particularly the prophecy, the prophecy portions of Isaiah were, were something that the Jews spent a lot of time studying. She would have been very familiar with this passage of Scripture. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 5 through 6. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, his face from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The, the chastisement of peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Mary would have known this passage very well. And as she is processing all of this information, <clears throat> this is a passage that, that had to have been one of the things that was going around in her. How am I going to handle this when it comes? 
How am I going to do that? We are in the midst of the Christmas season. Unfortunately, this is the season that many people need hope more than any other season. Yesterday, well, most of you know that uh, I'm a chaplain with the Sheriff's Department here in town. Well, actually the county. <clears throat> but yesterday I, on Facebook, I got into a discussion with some chaplain friends of mine. And <clears throat> I didn't start it, but I, I was in it for just a little bit. But because of COVID-19 and the fact that people are 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 um uh not able to get out and and um mingle there there you go that's a good word um <clears throat> suicide this time of year is always on the rise but what the chaplain the chaplaincy is finding is that suicide this year is going off the charts in certain certain areas. It's not. It's still a problem here, but in in in, in states like California, New York, um, Pennsylvania, where a lot of the 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 the, the lockdown is is much much tighter, the the suicide rate is 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 escalating exponentially. And one of the main causes for suicide is a lack of hope. And you take the Christmas season and you take COVID-19 and all the things that are connected to that and you have a perfect storm. And the mental health of officials and and people in our country are are scrambling because it's getting out of control. Hope. What is your hope in? I trust that your hope is in Jesus Christ and not the things of this world. Number one, the hope of God's promise. Number two, the hope that conquers anxiety. The hope that conquers anxiety. Just as people struggle with hope this time of year uh, and anxiety is high, uh, the lack of hope and high anxiety go hand in hand. If if you have a, a lack of hope, uh, then your anxiety levels are going to be high. It's it's kind of a, uh, a kind of a no-brainer. In John chapter 16, verse 33, it says, "These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In this in the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world." At the end of Luke chapter two, turn over to Luke chapter two. <clears throat> At the end of Luke chapter 2, there's an interesting story that takes place. 
it's really technically not part of the Christmas story, <clears throat> um, but uh, it, it, well, let, let's just read it. <clears throat> Luke chapter two. Let's start reading in uh, verse forty-one. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the at the feast of the Passover, and when he was Twelve years old, he went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. Now, so if when we read this passage, Jesus is uh, obviously twelve years old. Uh, it is uh, by reading it the way I the way I understand it is every year at the Passover, Joseph and Mary make the trip. Excuse me to Jerusalem for the Passover, but they don't take him with them. That's how I read it until he's 12 years old. Now, why all of a sudden, when he turns 12, do they take him? Well, I'm glad you asked because it's important. Uh, what happens in the life of a Jewish male at the age of 13? Bar mitzvah. Okay, that's when they reach manhood. So what it was is it was customary for a Jewish family that when the the on the when the when the young man was 12 years old to make the trek to Jerusalem to the temple so that the next year when he was to have his bar mitzvah that he would be familiar with the temple and the workings of the temple so basically it was a quote unquote a dry run so to speak for the young man probably was able to watch the bar mitzvah of other young boys that were going through the process and so on and so forth. So, <clears throat> 12 years old. Now, as I was as I was studying this and thinking about it, it the, the thought just dawned on me. Here he was, 12 years old. How old was Mary when the angel came to Mary? <clears throat> Thirteen, maybe maybe fourteen, but she was more than likely thirteen years old, just a year older than Jesus was at, at this story. I, I don't know. I, I I don't know. To me, it was interesting, but you may you you may not think it is, but I do. And I'm preaching the sermon, so I get to say it. <clears throat> Verse forty-three, and when they had fulfilled the days. As they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph, the mother, knew, it, knew not of it. But they supposed him to have been in the company, uh, uh, went a day's journey, and they sought uh, among their kinfolk and acquaintances. Verse 45, And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, to seek him. So they had traveled 24 hours. They, they had traveled a whole day before they realized they didn't have him. Now, <laughs> I, you, you know, you, you know we, 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 we look at this and we think, how could they do that? Well, you got to understand the culture. When they traveled, they didn't travel. I mean, you, you know... <clears throat> You know they. You know if you know typically if you want to go see grandma in Missouri, what do you do? You load up the kids and the, and everything in the car and you drive to Missouri. Well, that's not how they did it. 
you know, especially Passover, uh, they would, I mean, they would travel in caravans and, and whole families. And they had big families. Whole families would travel together. So it was nothing to travel for uh, uh, two weeks going from uh, uh, Jerusalem back to Bethlehem. Uh, I, I, I think it was a two-week journey. And, and not see your kids. Wouldn't that be awesome? I, I, you know, <laughs> it would make traveling so much more fun. So, so really, so don't, don't, don't think ill of Joseph and Mary, them not knowing, because it was, you know, generally speaking, all the kids would be over here, the adults would be over here, and they would just travel and, and, and anyway. So, but can you imagine the anxiety level when they finally figured out he wasn't there? Boom, it would be off the charts. Not only did I lose my kid, I lost the Son of God. Yeah, no pressure there. <laughs> you know? I, I just, as I, as I tried to process it, I can't, I can't even go there. I mean, I, I, know, I know what it was like, you know, Tim... Tim liked to play jokes when we were in stores, and he'd like to hide. Ashley, I don't think ever did that, but Tim, I'd, I'd want to kill him. And it was just for five minutes. In verse 26, we'll read it here in, a, in, in or 46, excuse me. We'll we'll read here in a minute that that okay. So they traveled 24 hours. They realize they don't have them, so they have to travel 24 hours back. That's two days. And then when they get to Jerusalem, they spend three days looking for them. Five days. And I lost God. I mean, that, that would just... I, I, again, I cannot imagine the anxiety level that they had to be experiencing. Look at verse 46. And it came to pass that after these days they found him <clears throat> in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. I, I you know, that I, I just find that incredibly humorous. I, I'm like you. I'm, I, you know. Anyway, uh, and all <clears throat> that heard him were astounded by his understanding and answers. And when they saw him. They were amazed, uh, and his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou uh, uh, dealt <clears throat> with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. Pick up that word sorrowing. You, you get that? Yes. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Was ye not? that I must be about my father's business? And get this, get this, because this is important. And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Jerusalem, or to uh, uh, Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his, but his mother kept all these things uh, all these sayings in her heart. 
And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Now, I want to make one thing really, really clear here. He, Jesus <clears throat> was not being disrespectful when he said in verse 30, uh, 49, how is it you sought me? Wist not that you were about that I must be about my father's business? He was not being disrespectful. In 21st century vernacular, basically what Jesus was saying, why were you looking for me? Did you not remember what was told you before my birth? Now, I want you to think about this for a second. In essence, what is Jesus saying here? The Word of God that came to you before I was born should have brought comfort to you in your time of anxiety. We see here the anxiety level. And she, you know... Uh, she, she says, you know, we sought you sorrowing. But had she remembered the Word of God, she would have still sought Him, but she would not have sought Him sorrowing. See, it is the Word of God that helps our anxiety. It's remembering the Word of God that helps our anxiety. Let's go back to chapter 1, <clears throat> verses 32 and 33, to remember what she was supposed to have remembered. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of God, or the Son of the Most Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Why was she fretting? There was no reason to worry. Just as, as, as we live in this world of ever-changing things, we have nothing to worry about. Because he's still on the throne. Nothing's changed. Our world changes constantly. But God changes never. All Mary had to do was simply remember the promises of God and her anxiety would have gone away. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Be careful. The word careful there literally means anxious. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. The peace of God, which passes all understanding. In other words, if we can explain it, it's not from God. I've known Christians who have gone through some very difficult situations and they do it as calm as calm can get and the unsaved world looks at that and think how do you how do you do that god 
I can't explain it. It's the peace of God in my heart and my life. Number one, the hope of God's promise. Number two, the, the hope that conquers anxiety. And then number three, the hope of relationship. The hope of relationship. And again, we're going to be a, a extending out past the, the quote-unquote Christmas story, but if you realize the life of Jesus all-inclusive is the Christmas story. So I guess we're, we're okay there. But I want to start with asking a question. Did God make us to be social beings? Absolutely He did. That's one of the reasons why this, this, these COVID lockdowns is causing so much mental health issues. Because it, it, we need social interaction. It is, it is how God made us. <clears throat> and I know a lot of people are to the point where they're, they're getting ready. To, well, I know a lot of people are saying this. You know what? I'd rather be sick than not be around other people. That, that's just where people are getting. Because that's how God made us. They're, they're, so... <clears throat> Mankind, regardless of your relationship with God, mankind desires relationships. Now, there are basically four types of human relationships. That is family, friends, acquaintances, and then, and then you've got to throw in the romantic relationships. So there's basically four if you want to get technical, there's probably a few more, but those are those are the four basic ones. But there is one relationship that is greater than any human relationship, and that is our our relationship with an Almighty God. Later in Jesus's life, we're going to, uh, <clears throat> if you want to, you can turn over to Matthew. Uh, Matthew chapter 12. <clears throat> Matthew in chapter 12. Uh, we're going to be talking about an, an obscure uh, story. I, I, a lot of pastors that I know kind of skip over this story uh, oftentimes because they don't know, uh, at least my feeling is they don't know exactly what Jesus is trying to teach us here. But we're going to talk about it this morning because I think it's, a, it's an incredible picture of 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 a of a, of a just a a beautiful thing that God does in our lives. Jesus is talking to a large crowd of people here in Matthew chapter 12. When this takes place, it says while uh, oh I'm sorry in verse 46 uh, Matthew chapter 12 and verse 46 it says while he uh, yet talked to the people. Behold, his, his mother and brethren stood without, desiring to speak with him. Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brother, brethren uh, stand without, desiring to speak with thee. But he answered and said unto him, that uh, told him, Who is my mother and who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward the disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, 
For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brethren and my sister and my mother. See, this is an incredibly important lesson that Jesus is trying to teach. He's, he's, not, he's not ignoring his mother or his brethren. He, that, that, he's, that is not what he's doing. But what he's doing is he's taking a real-life situation and he's trying to teach a very deep spiritual truth. Are you ready? Are you ready for this deep spiritual truth? All those that trust in him are his family. All those that trust in him have or can have a relationship with him. There's a two-sided lesson here. Now, I want to say this. Humanly speaking, family has priority in our lives, right? Now, my mom and dad are sitting over here to my left. And uh, <clears throat> the truth is, if after church, and she'll probably do this just to aggravate me, but after church and everybody's standing around talking, if, if, if she yells out, Richard, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to stop what I'm doing. I'm going to walk over. Well, not, well, no, maybe not. But if she says Richard Allen, then I'm gonna then I'm gonna stop what I'm doing, and I'm gonna walk over and say yes, ma'am. Okay, why? Because because humanly speaking, we have priorities, do we not? And family kind of always has priority in our lives. But what is Jesus teaching us here? Not that he doesn't love his mom and his his brethren but that everybody there has the same priority no matter what the relationship is. I love that. So anybody can holler you There you go. Now, now I've given away the secret. There, I haven't heard it in a long time, but when we lived in the South, I used to hear a gospel song sung often. And one of the phrases in the song I, I really liked I don't, I don't know the name of the song. Ashley could probably tell you what it is. But it, it, the, the phrase is, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Oh, is that the title? Oh, okay. Well. <laughs> okay. But the ground is level at the foot of the cross. In other words, the relationship that I can have with God is the exact same relationship that you can have with him. And that is, that is the, one of the most incredibly important lessons that Jesus is teaching in, in, in all of the teachings that he has done. But oftentimes in Scripture, we read over it because we, 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 we miss, I think, we miss some of the importance of what Jesus is trying to communicate here. Can you imagine having the same authority or the same relationship with Jesus as Mary, his earthly mother? That, that's incredible. That's an incredible thought. 
But we can all have the exact same relationship. In this season, it is so easy to feel as though we are being pushed away from Jesus, not being pushed toward him. We get so busy worrying about buying presents and fretting over this thing and that thing and traveling here and doing this and all the peripheral things. But true relationship gives us hope. Knowing that I have access to God like everybody else brings me peace in my heart. In John chapter 10, verse 27 to 30, it says, uh, Jesus is speaking here and he says, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. The fact that he knows them, uh, that, is, that is a very personal statement. In other words, what he's saying is not only do I know them in a general sense, but I know them specifically. A good shepherd knew every one of his sheep. And many of, most of them named each one of them. And they, and they, 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 they knew them. And what Jesus is saying here is, <clears throat> my sheep hear my voice and I know them on a personal level. God knows you. And they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. See, our relationship with the Heavenly Father is a permanent relationship. This is the picture. When we get saved, the Bible says that God knows us, and He takes us literally, and He puts us in the palm of His hand, and then He closes that hand, and then, and then, and then, then it says, not only are you in the hand of Jesus, but Jesus is as, is in the Father's hand, and no man can take you out of that. See, our, our not only is our relationship personal, but it's permanent. That young lady, Mary, some two thousand years ago had an angel come to her and tell her of the hope that she would be carrying in her womb. A hope that would change the world. 2,000 years later, we're still talking about that same hope. That hope is the hope of God's promise. It is the hope that conquers anxiety. It is the hope of relationships. At the beginning, I, I, I started off by talking about deathbed uh, uh, statements and how it reflects <clears throat> the way people live their lives. And I made this statement. I said most of the, most of the statements in this book that I, that I have uh, reflect hope or reflect a void, a void of hope. 
My question to you this morning is this. Where's your hope? Is your hope in the things of this world or is it your hope in Jesus Christ? Where's your hope this morning? I hope and pray that your hope is in Jesus Christ. Because if your hope is in Jesus Christ, then you can have, uh, you can live a life that is not going to be void of trouble, but it can be void of anxiety. In this world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You can live a life free of anxiety, <clears throat> but I'm here to tell you, you can have a relationship with an almighty God. Emmanuel, God with us. What an incredible truth. Where's your hope this morning? I hope and pray that it is in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord.